Women Taking the Lead, Episode 185. I'm a big fan of the Eleanor Roosevelt quote that no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. So just recognizing that, you know, a lot of times when you feel inferior, it's because you've given your power away, not because someone has made you feel in a, a certain way. Hello, my name is Jody Flynn and welcome to Women Taking the Lead, where we are all about creating blasts of inspiration to help you overcome self-doubt so you can lead with confidence, integrity, and a sense of humor. Head over to womentakingthelead.com to join the community and get the resources to support you on your leadership journey. Now, your future awaits, so let's get started. Every child wants to be the hero of their own story. At JulesCustomBooks.com, your child plays the central role in every book, bringing joy and delight when they hear their name and those of their family and friends. Visit JulesCustomBooks.com to make your child the star of the show. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I'm here with Andrea Goulet, who is the CEO of Corky Bytes, a software development shop dedicated to maintaining and modernizing software applications. Named by LinkedIn as one of the top 10 professionals in software under 35, Andrea is the founder of the LegacyCode.rocks website and hosts a podcast dedicated to changing the way we think about legacy code. She keynotes frequently about building a business based on balance empathy, and trust, the perils of technical, non-technical divide, and the technical philosophies around working with legacy code. In her spare time, Andrea enjoys helping other people learn how to code and writing about the intersection of empathy and software. She loves watching her kids explore the world and is a sucker for a good physics documentary. And really, who isn't? Come on, Andrea. And you can recognize her by the JavaScript tattoo on her wrist. So interesting, Andrea. Please tell us more about you. Uh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like hearing that bio, it's like <laughs> it's kind of been overwhelming. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's really neat to to hear all of that. And like I hear that and almost feel like that's a different person, because when I think of myself, I think there are I, I went to a public school. I went to a state college, I have a degree in business, and I started a company with this guy that I met from high school who was really good at software and asked me to join him as his CEO. And, you know, it's just kind of taken off from there. But I mean, I live in a small town, I love it. And so there's so much of me that when I when I hear my bio, like, cause you don't hear your bio very much. I mean, I, I've, it's, it's very interesting. Cause I think I'm kind of just this small town girl <laughs> and I still am. So, so yeah. Yeah. I love it. The small town girl rocking the world. Really? Yeah. That's the neat thing. Like, I mean, I live just outside of Richmond, Virginia and I was in New York last week. They had invited me to go to this CTO summit and I got to help ring in the opening bell on NASDAQ and like my picture was in Times Square. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then like I had a flight up there and back on the same day and I just came home and like tucked my kids in and was super happy and was like really glad to be in my tiny little small town where I went to school and you know my my one of my best friends from high school is my son's preschool teacher like those things those are the things that really matter to me yeah we're coming into an age where it's no longer required right to move to the big city 
to make a name for yourself like because of technology and because online businesses are booming right now that you can live wherever you want and you can have like this mega company if you want to yeah. or be making big waves in the world. I just love the era we're coming into right now. Yeah, and that was that was a big reason why we started our own business because both Sky and myself were getting all these job offers to go out to the West Coast and we're like we so so Scott my business partner um so we met in high school. We were really good friends in high school. He asked me to be his business partner and then 3 years later we got married and then had kids. So we're also married now. Um, and have a family. And the the thing was, was we were like, we're not moving. We've got all four grandparents here. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, this is really important to us. And I think people sometimes forget the disruption of uprooting people. And so we built our entire culture around being a remote first company um, that focuses on the really complex legacy code applications that are just difficult to work with. And we've been able to be successful. And, you know, the the idea is that I'll bring Silicon Valley to me, I'll bring New York to me. And, you know, I'll travel when it's needed. But for the most part, like I am a homebody, I love my small town, and I wouldn't move. It's just it's I'm very rooted here. Mm -hmm. So and I feel like at this point, it's a good time to really for those who don't know legacy code. Can you give us a quick explanation yeah. of what that is? Sure. So the way that I describe legacy code is that it's code without good communication around it. So a lot of times when you build a software application, you then you know, the people move on to other projects or, you know, they leave the company. And if you inherit a code base that doesn't have a lot of context around how to work with it, and there are lots of different very technical ways that I could describe what that is. But but the idea is just if you can't glean really quickly the context and, and why people made certain decisions and the code is kind of really difficult to work with, um, then it's really frustrating. So, um, and it can impede how fast you're able to develop new features. So, you know, think of it this way, like we've all had an instruction manual or something, right? Like if the documentation of a software to get everything up and running on what's called your developer environment so that you can actually work on the code is frustrating and takes three days, you know, then you know, every time you touch the code base, it's like super frustrating mm -hmm. um, versus like you've got something set up in three minutes and then you're off to the races and you're just coding. So so that's what we do is we actually take these projects that don't have a lot of communication. They're really fragile code bases. They're really difficult to work with, but they're doing really important things. And we help to make them way easier to work with. We, um, you know, help make it so that our clients can get better value out of them to get more return on investment. And that's really the thing for me. So you don't have to worry too much about the technology side of things. If you're not in technology or anything, don't worry about it. Because I didn't come from a technology background. My background is in marketing. Um, and I actually started my very first job out of college was as the hostess at a, at a local restaurant. So, um, so yeah, I mean, this is stuff that you can learn. Um, but it just takes an attitude of, okay, that's what it is. I'll mm -hmm. learn about it. <laughs> yeah, so. anything can be learned if you have the right mm -hmm. attitude about it. It's so true. And Andrea, my goodness, like, 
talking to you, you have so much energy, you have so much confidence, right? Like you're on top of the world, things are going really great, your life's set up the way you want it to, like there's always things where it's improving on, but you're in a really good place right now. But I always like to, at this point, level the playing field, um, because oh, yeah. we all have those human moments that we can relate to, and I call them playing small moments, and that comes from the Marianne Williamson quote, um, you know, where, where she talks about how playing small is just not the way we were meant to live life but there is also a part of our makeup that is designed to keep us safe and hold us back and so we undervalue ourselves we don't realize what we're capable of and so there are times in our lives where we we hesitate and we hold ourselves back because we don't know any better so if you could share with us one of those times in your life when you were playing small and the lessons you've learned from it yeah, I mean, I think the thing is, is that I still do play small in some ways, right? Like, I, so the the one that I kind of came prepared was, was in third grade, I had a bully tell me that I wasn't good at math. And my gr grades went from straight A's to C's, and I never really recovered. And then I opted out of, I mean, I was always really good at math. I took differential calculus in college and statistics, and I always got A's, and I enjoyed it. But I let other people tell me what culturally I was and wasn't allowed to be good at. Mm -hmm. And that held me back for a good 15 years. Um, but even today, like now, like I'm writing blogs and they're getting a little bit more exposure. And one of my software developers today, I, I had a, um, a Twitter handle that I really respect reach out to me and say that some of my writing really resonated. And he thanked me for, for contributing my voice. And I was just like, wow, not all of the, comments are bad because I, I tend to focus on the negative comments in my in my blogs. And there have been some where they're like, you're a girl, you can't code that they are blatant <laughs> sexism. Mm -hmm. And those are the ones that I let bother me. And so I love that, like, I've created this culture where all of my developers hold me accountable. And they tell me, Andrea, you're playing small, how many of those are actually negative comments? And how many are telling you that you need to keep speaking? So, you know, I think it's something that you never really, like, I, I don't, I mean, yes, things are going great. And I love the work that I do. And I think it's really important. And I'm having a lot of fun. And I feel like I've built a great business and financially we're comfortable, like things. Yes, they are great. And that feeling of inadequacy and insecurity and fear of entering and doing something scary. Brene Brown calls it entering the arena. Like that fear never goes away. And you just learn to kind of be a little bit more comfortable with it. But that that pang of anxiety of like, oh, what do people think of me is always going to be there, or at least for me. Mm -hmm. I just got the shivers when you talked about entering the arena, right? Whenever you're about to do something big and life changing, like something like I, I, I call it like those things you must do right? You're just called to it. You must do it. But it means exposing yourself to the world yeah. to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened in New York. I was speaking at the CTO summit and I had been invited and I was, I was telling my business partner, I was like, I don't belong here. Like everyone here is like super technical. I'm talking about empathy. Like what the heck? Like I don't belong here. And it turned out that that wasn't the case at all. I mean, I was I was invited to this conference, like I was put on the schedule for a reason. And I started thinking and, and, you know, that I'm just going to be myself. And the more 
positive feedback I get about how that is resonating, the the better it is. Um, but it but it takes a lot. And I mean, for me, I think I'm I'm kind of like halfway between an introvert and an extrovert. So like I'll go out and I'll do these big events, and then like I just want to crawl home to my like small little town and and just hang out and watch documentaries for mm-hmm. two days. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah. I love what you also said in your story, Andrea, about how, you know, a bully told you you weren't good at math and, and your grades went to C's and you did come back, right? Because then you went on to take all these advanced math classes and getting A's. But I love how you talked about, um, you know, it impacted you culturally and psychologically, because I think we we can all relate to those things where we do well at them, but we convince ourselves we're not good at it. Even though yeah. even though you were getting A's, you were telling yourself you're not good at math. And it's so interesting how that happens because I'm sure everyone can relate to those areas in their lives where when people give them compliments, they go, oh, no, 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 no. I have to work really hard. Oh, it's by accident. Oh, it's this, that, and the other thing. And we really need to stop doing that. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I say thank you. Or at least try to, you know, when somebody gives me a compliment, I just say thank you. Mm-hmm. That means a lot. I really appreciate it. I'm I'm so glad that made an impact on you. And and just learning to do that is kind of a framework. But yeah, it's there's a great book that I read early in my career. It's called Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office. And um it just like I remember reading it and it was all of these things that like culturally women weren't allowed to do. And it was like Don't focus on being a nice girl. Focus on being a savvy girl. And, you know, savvy girls will brag. They'll like they'll say this. is These are my accomplishments. You know, savvy girls aren't going to apologize for everything. You know, savvy girls aren't going to minimize their their accomplishments. So so reading that early in my career, I think, had a big impact on me. And and I still go back to a lot of those things because, you know, the culture is a really big deal. And when we see when we do, when we don't have role models or if we don't have people that we can look to as you know people who have been there that we can aspire to be it makes it really 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 hard so um so just knowing how to navigate that makes a big difference absolutely and now andrea if you could share with us a time in your journey when you had a wake up call or an aha moment Take, yeah. us, take us back to that moment and share with us the steps you took that led to your success. Yeah. So in software, there is this culture of are you technical or non-technical? And that's just kind of the culture. It's one of the first questions that people ask you all the time. Um, and people would see me at conferences and they would go, hey, are, are you technical or non-technical? And it always made me question whether or not I was saying things right or things like that. And so one day I was in the car with my business partner and he was now my husband and we had our, our baby in the back seat and he was sleeping. And then Scott had just been on a really big podcast and he described me as non-technical. And the the origin story that he shared about our, our business was that I was the non-technical person and that I did the business administration and the marketing and, you know, brought a lot of value to the business, but I didn't, I didn't really code. And I, I remember hearing that, like when I heard it from his mouth, I got really angry. Like, I mean, it was more hurt than angry. I was like, how could you do this? Like I have to battle everyone out there who asks me if I can code how dare you say that? And Scott luckily is like super calm and just he listens so well. And so he just like let me rant. 
And he just at the end goes, Andrea, all I did was say verbatim what you said at a client meeting yesterday. And that made me realize that I was the person who was holding myself back. And he told me, he said, when you start calling yourself technical, I'll start calling you technical. And he put the onus back on me. And that I think I like I love him for that. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's he really, really helped me grow. And he did it in this way that was just so heartfelt and so meaningful. And so I started really taking a critical look about why can't I call myself technical? And it's it started with all of these things about culture and like, well, what is technical? Right. And um, eventually I got to the point where we were at a client meeting and I shared all of these things about cyclomatic complexity and, you know, churn and all these different things that I know about. And I shared it in this confident way. And this person who had been in the federal, you know, or not in the federal, in the state government for a really long time, um, just looks at me. He goes, it looked at like he was like looking at a zoo creature that he like couldn't place. Like he was just the entire meeting. He's like, how is this? Like, I understand the words and you are saying all the right things, but you're like, I've gotten that like too pretty to code. Like you don't look like a software engineer. Like, mm-hmm. and this was before the, I look like an engineer movement which I loved. But so she, so he goes, yeah, I just, I don't know. You don't look like someone who codes. And we went down and like, I just got so frustrated because I was like, I'm never going to look like someone who codes because I look like me, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm not going to change who I am because you can't recognize that I have developed a skill. And so that's when I got the tattoo on my wrist and it's a, um, it's a JavaScript function and it has it. So it says B and then it has um, two parentheses. So it's that's an empty parameter. And in JavaScript, when you call that, um, it means that, you know, it's undefined. So it basically means that I can be whatever the hell I want. <laughs> and, and so I got it really more for me so that when I had feelings of self-doubt, I could look down and it, it, I, it, I look at it probably 20 times a day still. Because I'm like, I am technical. Like, I know this. I know this stuff. And I'm always learning, right? And I'm always trying to get better. And I'm, you know, and that has given me the confidence to then go out and share more. And it's had the benefit because now when I shake someone's hand, they see that I have a tattoo of some a code snippet on my wrist. And so they don't ask whether or not I am technical or non-technical because it's assumed that if <laughs> this person has gone to the lengths of getting herself inked up with a, with a JavaScript function, chances are she knows how to code. And so for me, what I've noticed is that I got this tattoo maybe a year and a half ago. And a year and a half of not being asked straight out the gate whether or not I know how to code has made a huge impact on my ability to just feel confident. So just recognizing too, that there are cultural barriers out there um, and that you can overcome them, but you've got to find your own way. Like for me, this was like a, just a deeply personal thing that, that works for me. It's not that I'm saying everybody has to go out and get a tattoo, but find something that you can constantly remind yourself that you are not the result of everybody's stereotypes. Mm-hmm. I love that, that the tattoos serve two purposes, one to anchor you to your purpose yep. and to what you're trying to bring to the world. And also it made you look like a coder. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, and it's, it's not just look like a coder, like I am a coder, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, so, so I remember saying, um, so shortly after I got this, I was like, I'm just going to make this, I'm going to add this to my bio and just see if people want to talk about it. And so then it's really opened up the conversation. And I've been on lots of podcasts, especially with men. And they're like, I never thought of it that way. I do ask women if they know how to code. I am a jerk. I'm never going to do that again. Right? <laughs> and so it's a lot of times, like, people don't even recognize that they're falling into these cultural, you know, norms because they've they've just been conditioned. And so um, so it, it does take a lot of kind of creativity and um, tenacity to just say, I'm going to try something different and this is what I believe and this is what I, I think. And so now I feel very confident calling myself technical. You know, am I the most technical person out there mm, on, you know, it depends on what you're talking about, right? I feel very comfortable with certain technologies. I feel really, really comfortable with business acumen. Like I'm super technical there. So, um, so yeah, I think it, it really just depends and, and finding the, finding the confidence within yourself is the most important part. And it's, it's a challenge. So, well, Andrea, this is a great segue here because what I'm very curious about now is how would you describe your leadership style? Like you, you've talked about like how you you um, show up as an individual and as a woman, you know, interacting with your peers, you know, primarily and your customers. But how do, would you describe your leadership style? Yeah, I think mine is through encouragement and also really understanding vulnerability. I've been really inspired by the work of Dr. Brene Brown and just how vulnerability can be such a tool for leadership and demonstrating courage. And so I have really tried to be a leader who shows up every day and is seen and shares that there are things that I feel like I'm an imposter over and I don't try, you know, I, so Brene Brown has this mantra that she's shared in her book, Daring Greatly, of don't puff up, don't shrink, stand your sacred ground. And that is very much how I feel. And I try to encourage other people to do the same thing. And it's not just women, it's it's everyone on my team. So, for example, when my business development person was putting together a proposal, a grant proposal, right, he had put a lot of language in there of like, well, you know, I've only been here for a few months, but this is what I think. And I'm like, no, delete that. Like, you don't need to say that. Just have an opinion. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. So. Right. Um, so and and really just encouraging people to recognize that when you feel like you're being an imposter and when you feel that sense of imposter syndrome, a that means that you are an incredibly self-motivated and self-aware person because you know, we think that imposter syndrome is a feminine issue or a woman's issue, and it's not. It's a high achievers issue. And it is. And so men get this just as much as women. And so everyone on my team, you know, I, I kind of encourage them to go outside of their comfort zone. And so with people who come to the team with more consultative skills um, and, you know, I'm, I'm encouraging them to be technical kind of and that's where I feel. But then the people who come to my team who have lots of technical skills, I'm encouraging them to really do their consultative skills. And I'm like, OK, I want to see you pitching at conferences. I want to see you writing on the blog. I want to see you sharing your experiences and communicating. And when we all are doing those different types of activities, then we're all creating an environment where we're helping each other be our best selves. And we're no longer saying, well, 
the content person is just over there and she's going to be writing all the blogs and I'm not going to help her. And then, you know, the content person isn't saying, well, I don't code, so I'm not going to, you know, it's like, we're all in there. We're all trying to do our best and we're all learning and growing from each other. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think of myself a lot of times just as like a gardener, you know, like my job is to really kind of set the scene, set the environment, make sure that all the seeds are planted and everything has what it needs to grow and that I'm just really monitoring the health of the system and kind of everything overall um, and and just only injecting myself where I really need to, because I think as a leader, sometimes like I can, um, you know, you can you can mess things up by not just hanging back. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like my, Right. You my, can get in the way. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. My, um, my, I was talking about this with um, my director of operations, and she shared uh, the story of how she played frog in the frog and toad in um, in second grade. And so the story is like frog and toad are, are planting a garden, and I forget whether it's frog or toad, but one of them goes, "Grow seeds, grow!" and like is standing over them yelling. And I feel like that's what some CEOs do. Like you really just at that point need to go and like just let people do their thing and trust that it's going to happen that you've that you've done your job and you've set things up and now it's about just monitoring things and making sure that things are good and and harvesting when needed to but you know your job is not necessarily to do the work it's really to empower other people to do the work Mm -hmm. and we chatted briefly about this before we hit record of how you are starting to hand over some tasks to some of your team members and let go of other tasks so this is a great segue because what I want to hear about now that you're giving over some of these day-to-day things what are you working on right now that you're really excited about and want to share with us yeah I um you know, the number one thing on my bucket list is to write a book and get it published. And I feel like now um, I'm going to have the space in the next year to really dedicate to getting some of my ideas into a longer format and discussing, you know, like, and, and so I've got like four or five books in my head that I, I want to write. And so I'm really excited about being able to just dedicate some time to to really putting all of these ideas together into a longer format. And that's, I just, I feel ready for that. Um, and then also just curating a community that legacy code dot rocks. So one of the things I noticed when, when I started this work was that there was a community of people who were very passionate about software maintenance and modernization, but they had no way to talk to each other. So, you know, we've got a Slack group and we do masterminds and I host a podcast. Like I'm, again, it's, it's really trying to be a servant so that everybody can take the shame out of the stigma that's been created around software maintenance and that they can have other people to talk to who are working on similar projects and that we can just be a network and a supportive group for each other. And so that's been a, that's been an awesome project to work on as well. You know, and I remember in one of his book, Malk's, in one of his books, let me say this clearly, Malcolm Gladwell talked about um, like coffee talk or, or shop talk that people mm. have that it sounds very superficial at first when people are, you know, doing shop talk. But th- what they're actually doing is people are sharing knowledge of yes. different situations. And so just by having those types of conversations, you're actually expanding your experience level. And so they're oh, very yeah. important to have. 
Yeah. And I feel like that's one of the things that keeps me grounded. And that's a big place where I get different ideas is by interacting with everyone. So so then even if I'm not able to get in and dive in on a project as as much as I'd like with a client, you know, I'm learning about what everybody else is doing and I'm able to see trends and I'm able to spot patterns and I'm able to try different ideas that I hear. So um, so, yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. I love that. And on the flip side of things, Andrea, what would you say is your biggest your biggest leadership or business challenge that you're faced with right now? We've been in business eight years and for about six and a half of those years, it was just me and Scott. We were super scrappy. We made no money, right? Like we we took out loans, we kept things going and like Things have moved really fast in the past 18 months to the point now where we're growing a team. We've got a team of 12 based on our current demand. We'll probably be a team of 30 by the by this time next year. And so we're growing really fast. Um, and so one of the things for me is making sure that I can delegate and that I'm not tempted to do all of the work and that. I'm trying to figure out how to maintain the vision that I have of, um, you know, just really high consultative, good business development. Like, how do I train and get my vision across if I'm not as hands on? That's that's, I think, one of the biggest challenges. And I'm trying new things, but it's that's that's something that they don't teach you is this um, this kind of transition that once you've made it, it just it becomes a whole different <laughs> kind of set of challenges. So so embracing it and realizing that it's something new and, and this is exciting. But but at the same time, you know, there's there's a feeling of like, well, what if it you know doesn't work or what if I can't be there or what if I mess up? And I think a lot of us, especially as women, I I've encountered lots of women who just have this fear of making a mistake. I know that's that's me. But the interesting thing about software is that that's that's how and business is that that's how you do it is mm-hmm. you try things and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And then you make adjustments accordingly. So um, so, yeah, I think just just learning to trust the process and trust my own instincts and um, and just recognize that, you know, the the things that I have to say matter and that I will find people like I remember when I first started and I gave a business pitch and I was like, I want to find software developers who code in 15 languages and they can be their own project managers. And they're also really amazing consultants and they have really good communications. Like, and people told, laughed at me I and mean, they absolutely laughed at me. And they're like, you're never, your expectations are way too high. You're never going to be able to find anyone like that. Mm-hmm. And what I was pleasantly surprised because my intuition was right. And there were people who were being way under challenged at, mm-hmm. at different places and they left jobs and sometimes took pay cuts to come work for me. And so, you know, I think just recognizing that even though I don't know what's around the bend, that I can trust my own instincts. And I think that's something that just comes with time, you know, that I have more data points now. And I recognize that I've been an entrepreneur for long enough now where it's like, okay, you know, I'm not going to always know what I'm what I'm doing. But, you know, I've, I've got a, a fair amount of data that shows that I'm usually you know, kind of on point. And so just trusting the data, trusting the, you know, the objectiveness rather than the feeling of I can't do this and I don't know what I'm doing. You know, if I look Mm -hmm. back, I'm like, 
yeah, I messed up, but I learned from those mistakes and I changed my behavior. And, you know, now I do things differently and now I know. And so, you know, the longer you're in business, the easier I think sometimes it is to stay in business. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah. and, a, and as we're talking about all this, Andrea, what keeps coming to my mind is, and this is all stuff you can put in your book and then hand it to the people you hire and be like, digest yeah, this. This is exactly. your Bible. <laughs> this is our yeah. philosophy. This is where we're going. This is how I want you to operate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I think that's part of it is, and I think, you know, we don't teach leaders how to articulate their vision. And um, that was really where I came from before I did Corcubites full time was I really worked with with CEOs to help them articulate what and that is a very difficult job. It's a very, very difficult job. And, you know, putting myself in the in the shoes of of having to do that and having a vision and explaining it, it's it's a lot of, of work. Um and it's something that you're constantly reinventing because what worked last year, you know, markets are different. You know, the mm-hmm. the staff that I have is different. You know, what worked last year might not work this year. So you're constantly having to be the champion and the cheerleader and the vision setter um, and setting the course for your business and recognizing that that is real work. Because sometimes I think we don't like I know for me, one of the biggest challenges early on when I was transitioning to a CEO role for more of a production role was I had this feeling that um, no longer was I judged by the output of my work, but rather the impact of my decisions. And so my job was not to do the work, but it was to make the right decision at the right time. And sometimes that means that you're just kind of hanging back, you're absorbing information, you're doing a lot of listening um, so that you can make the right decision at the right time. Um, but that, that is a big shift from being the producer and saying at the end of an eight hour day, oh, I did this, 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 and this. And there are, there, especially when I first started managing a team, I would walk away. I'm like, what the heck did I do today? I felt so unproductive. And, and instead going, okay, I made really good decisions today. You know, I made decisions that are going to impact the business for years to come. And me being rested and me being, um, you know, it, knowledgeable and well-researched like that, that is work. That is the job. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a tough transition and you've been, you know, touching upon the, the people you have around you and we're coming into a quick home stretch here. So if you could quickly just give us an outline of the people who support you in your life to help you do what you do. Oh my gosh, this is a long list. So I'll be quick. <laughs> so there are so, so, so many, but I mean, first of all is Scott. I mean, So he, I mean, in addition to being my business partner is my life partner. And just, I mean, in, you know, you heard earlier just about how he challenges me in these amazing ways. um, And he constantly does that. Um, So, so Scott's great. Um, We also live with my, with Scott's parents. Um, They help a lot with childcare so that Scott and I can both be fully dedicated to the business and we can travel a lot. My parents help a lot as well. On our team, um, Nikki is our director of operations. Don has um, been with us since really day one. He kind of was one of the first people who came on board and helped transform our culture. Catalina, um, just uh, she is she is constantly telling, you know, being that imposter syndrome, like cheerleader, like Andre, you've got this. We all believe in you. Um, we've got Joe. I, I've got Aaron who helps out as my administrative assistant and she and just is willing to help with the kids. So, I mean, there, there are so many people that 
And I think the thing I like most about everyone on my team, whether it's a personal or professional support player, is that everyone is just willing to do what it takes to get the job done. You know, so I've got family who would help in the business if I needed it. I've got people in the business who, you know, are helping with some family stuff if we need it. And it, it's just about doing the work and supporting each other um, and, and recognizing that, you know, your personal life is a big part of who you are. And um, not just as a CEO, that's for everyone. Right. So everyone should have the opportunity to take time off if they need to, if, you know, they're not feeling good or or things like that. Like it seems so little, but, but yet how often do we truly support the people on our team? So I try to support my team just as much and, and I am constantly inspired by, by all of them. Nice. And now Andrea, I'm going to do a quick leadership roundup. So tell us in one sentence, what is one practice you have that helps to make you a better leader? I have everyone on my team write out a daily journal and we've been doing this for about a year now and it's Awesome. So at the end of the day, everyone just writes in a wiki. They type up a couple of paragraphs about what happened in their day. And we all read each other's journals. And that has been a completely transformative practice because it's helped me really see what's going on and, and trends um, that otherwise I probably wouldn't have. And what is one book that you would recommend to a woman to help her develop her leadership? Yeah, I think I mentioned two today. Um, so definitely Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. And just oh, that when I read that book, it was like freaking light bulb just went off. And I was like, this is why I've never felt right in software because I can't be vulnerable. Um, it's shame ridden, like vulnerability is seen as a weakness, not a strength. So understanding the research around shame, empathy and vulnerability and kind of demystifying and debunking some of the myths was huge for me, huge. Um, and then the other one is that nice girls don't get the corner office. And I will have to look and see who that's by. It's over on my bookshelf. I can see it. But um, but yeah, but nice girls don't get the corner office. It's that one. Like I said, it's it's quick to read. It's it's good just to kind of have close by and um, and flip through. Um, so so those two for sure have helped me. And what advice would you give your younger self? You know, I think just recognizing that no matter what you do, like you're going to take away some piece of some lesson that's going to serve you later. So I talked about how one of my first jobs was as at the hostess stand. And one of the things I learned there was how to do capacity management, right? Like how to set expectations, how to do estimating. And those are all things that I use very much in my consulting practice today. And I believe that they were really honed and developed when I was in a very humble job of, you know, telling people how long it was going to be for their table. So, um, you know, recognizing that there are skills that will transcend and that you'll take with you and just just kind of I remember when I was um, when I was kind of figuring out what I wanted to be and navigating kind of the early phases of my career. There's a lot of work I didn't want to do. And just every day I would wake up and I'm like, I'm earning my stripes. I'm earning my stripes. <laughs> and like, and that, that really helped, you know, like, um, so a lot of times it's like, if you don't want to do something or if you're, even when I'm learning how to code, I'm like, okay, I'm earning my stripes. I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm going to get through this. Right. Just yeah. keep going. Absolutely. And Andrea, share with us a success quote or a mantra and why it has meaning for you. Uh, so 
I'm a big fan of the Eleanor Roosevelt quote that no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. And that is one that I'm, I am always trying to recognize it. it. I heard that early in my career and it never really kind of sunk in, but now recognizing that, you know, if I have someone like I'll put some of my writing out there and, you know, I'll get, 200 comments on it and 199 of them will be like, this was so amazing. Thank you so much for writing this. This really made a big difference in my life. And one will be like, you're not technical. Stop calling people. Like one is a troll, right? That is just Mm -hmm. mean. And I will focus on that one person. And I've noticed that that takes power away from me. And so I go back to Eleanor Roosevelt's quote of like, I, you know, I'm giving that person my power and I can't like, No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. So like I am consenting that I will give away my power to him or that I'm assuming it's a him. But um, but yeah, so just recognizing that, you know, a lot of times when you feel inferior, it's because you've given your power away, not because someone has made you feel in a, a certain way. Yeah. And lastly, Andrea, what is the best way for this community to connect with you? I would say probably Twitter. Um, You know, I tweet a lot about the issues that we've talked about today. And I love like diving into research about women in technology. So so that's something that I like. And so I'm Andrea Goulet on Twitter, just my name. Um, And then there's also our website. So corgibytes.com. So C-O-R-G-I like the dog. Um, I don't know if if it came through, but my dog is yapping a little bit outside. So (laughs) if that came through on the podcast, I apologize. But um, but yeah, so corgibytes.com. And then um, if you are a mender and like you find that you really like making software better, there's legacycode.rocks and it's a community of people who really enjoy doing this work and we share ideas and, and help try to make the world's code a little bit better every day. Awesome. And for those of you listening, I know you're oftentimes on the go. You know you can find all these links and the resources that Andrea shared in this episode um, in the blog post that accompanies it at womentakingthelead.com. If you put Andrea in the search tab, it'll pop right up. And Andrea, thank you so much for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We are all better for having met you. Aw, thank you. Thank you so much, Jody. I really appreciate it. And thank you for the invitation. This was so, so much fun. Your website tells a story about your business. At Zebra Love Web Solutions, Millie and her team are going to make sure your website tells the story you want your customers to hear. Connect with Millie at ZebraLoveWebSolutions.com to create the impression you want to make. Thank you for joining me on Women Taking the Lead. Are you ready to take the lead in your own life but need some support? Head over to womentakingthelead.com forward slash contact to introduce yourself. And to strengthen you on your leadership journey, I'd like to send you off with a quote from Marianne Williamson. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. 
We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Again, thank you for joining with me, and here's to your success.